Hi, I'm Hera, the mom. And I'm Estella, the kid. And this is Seeking Different. There are times when everyone feels different or left out. As a non-traditional mom and kid family, we're setting out to explore all the ways that families can be different. This is Seeking Different. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Seeking Different. Today, we have the lovely Elise Barnes, also known as Elise the Embryologist with us. Elise has been featured on Good Morning America, BuzzFeed, and Bustle. She's gone viral on TikTok for her great videos breaking down facts and educating about IVF and fertility. This is the second time I've gotten a chance to chat with Elise. She joined us for a girlfriend's chat on the Mocha SMC podcast about IVF and fertility. But this time I'm really excited because I have lots of questions for her about how all this baby making works. But before we get into those questions, Elise, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself in your own words? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an embryologist, meaning that I work in an IVF lab. I grow embryos, freeze them, thaw them for people who are trying to have a baby. And my background is in genetics. And I went to NC State, which go pack always. <laughs> so my first question for you is what's an embryologist? We are the person but kind of behind the scenes in the lab who is doing the actual lab work. So we are looking in microscopes and um, working with other lab equipment to create embryos, which become babies, which is so crazy. And we do a variety of different things in the lab with our procedures. Um, we also talk to patients and make sure our paperwork is correct, do lots of quality control on our equipment. So we have to make sure all of our equipment is working properly. Um, so we kind of do a variety of things, but we're most known for our lab work, creating embryos, which become babies. All right. So I'm going to tell you for the last couple of years, I'm going to be honest, I have struggled a bit with the question of like, where do babies come from? Mm -hmm. Like traditional mom and dad families, you know, they can just say, well, mommy and daddy came together and they loved each other very much, which like, you know, probably works for like a little, little kid. Right. As they get older and also for like, you know, solo mom families, the question gets a little bit more scientific, a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. So how would you explain how embryos are actually made to a kid. Yeah. So this is very interesting because I don't talk with kids often, but I'm super excited about this because it's something I feel like has to be talked about at some point, especially for people who have IVF babies. Okay. So essentially we are taking the eggs from the mom and the sperm from the dad, and we are putting them together. We essentially take a little needle and pick up the little sperm, it swims around. We pick it up and we inject it into the egg with a really tiny needle. And then we're, we're putting it in some media, which is nutrients for the embryo that we just created. And it grows in that media. And then when it's at um, a stage that we call an embryo or blastocyst, it's got all the parts that we are looking for. Then we put it up, suck it up into a little tube and put it into the future mom's uterus. And so it sticks in there and that's where the baby starts to grow is in the uterus. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> I told you Isa was in a tube. Okay, so <laughs> she has been obsessed with the idea of like Isa being in a tube or like a dish, like, you know, like an actual bowl that you mix yeah. together. <laughs> so okay, so 
the, there is a dish involved. It's not like a test tube. Like you think, I wish I had one on me to show you, but it's, it's the dish is about this big and it's round and it's maybe this tall. And so we kind of hold the dish like this. So, you know, the dish is circular and you, you stick it in your hand and there's drops of media. So really tiny drops of the media that has the nutrients in it in that dish so it's not really a, a test tube like you think of but, um, it's, but it's similar it's in a dish it's not a dish big enough to like eat cereal out of yeah it's a tiny dish it's maybe this thing you know like the palm of your hand um when you're mixing it like when it's like spinning while you're mixing it is it like it's dancing like they're having entertainment while like dancing in the in like the bowl because in they the dish? yeah so the sperm can, can kind of look like it's dancing. Honestly, it kind of swims like, a, like I'm trying to think of what something else would look like. Maybe like a fish, it kind of swims in the media, but the embryo, once we, we pick up that sperm and put it in the egg, the embryo itself doesn't really move. So when we check on it, it, it won't be moving or anything, um, but the sperm do swim. They do swim around in there. I told you. No, you said sing. You did not say swim. But I told you said you swim. do something in there. Okay, all right, all right. She was, she was like, but what about singing? Like, do they sing? I'm like, no, like embryos don't sing because they're like, I mean, at that point, they're like tissue, right? Like they're Yeah. So they're really tiny cells. They're really So like you're made up of cells and then it, the embryo essentially is made up of cells like that too. It's just, you have like millions and millions of millions of cells now because you're grown, you're, you've grown up, you know, but embryos have like 50 cells. So 50 cells compared to you who has like billions of cells. Wait a minute. Um, was I in a dish? Did you were not in a dish. So <laughs> I had you via IUI, which is basically like taking, like, so my eggs stayed inside of me, right? And maybe mm -hmm. Elias will be able to tell us like more scientifically, but my eggs were there and we didn't extract them. We didn't take them out for, for you. We just inserted the tissue from the, from the, from the boy or the man. Wait a minute. And so, so like the little fishy sperm, fishy looking sperm mm -hmm. thing, you can also just insert it inside, but there's, there's, I guess there's benefits of doing IVF. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Let's talk about embryo testing. So like for kids who don't realize why parents might go the path of IVF, like what are the sorts of things that you, what are the benefits from going, from doing IVF versus doing like, you know, the old school way of getting pregnant? Yeah. So as we get older, the cells in our body have a hard time making sure all of the DNA is, is correct. So DNA is essentially the code or the book that our cells use to make more cells. So it kind of has to have this code written down. It has to be perfect for the cells to keep going. And as we get older, that doesn't work as well. So it's almost like when you get older, you can't see as well. You know, you may, you may not be able to run as fast or work out as hard. That happens to our eggs too, which is what makes babies. Uh, it's part of what makes babies. So when we do IVF, we can test to make sure that that code that the egg is using to make a baby is perfect. Not necessarily perfect. I shouldn't have said perfect. Is 
normal. <laughs> um, and so we can test that to make sure that the DNA in the embryo that we've created um, is normal. And, and we can't do that when we do IUI, which is how you were made. Yeah. So it's, it's basically with IUI, it's like the luck of the draw. We're like hoping, but mama was much younger when I had you. So my eggs were not as old. My eggs were a lot older when I had Isa. (laughs) So we had to just make sure. Uh, Plus, I mean, lots of parents will try and try and try month after month. And if they want a baby quicker, oftentimes IVF is a quicker way to actually get the baby. And since mommy wanted you eyes so bad and was very impatient about it, I went ahead and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are not impatient. You're still not impatient. You mean I'm I'm not patient? Yeah, you are not impatient. I'm not patient either. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah, like every day to to school, I'm like, wait, I have to have one. She's like, yeah, I'm that is not what I sound like. That is not what I sound like. All right, go ahead. <laughs> what made you want to be an embryologist? Honestly, I wasn't really sure at first. I thought it sounded like a cool job and something that would be very rewarding because people like your mom, you know, want babies so badly and I can help them to get the babies that they want. And so that was something that um, I thought would be really rewarding to do. And it was related to what I studied in school, which I thought was very interesting. And, you know, pay is important. You have to make money to be able to live and it paid very well. And so I was like, this may be something that I should consider doing. And, um, I'm glad I did because it's very rewarding. It's very, it's weird to say it's fun, but it is fun. It's, it's very interesting. Like I get to learn a lot of new things and, Um, I get to see the sperm swimming around in there. It's really cool to look at. Um, So it's a very exciting job. So here's a follow-up question. When you say see the sperm, like how big are we talking here? Like, can you see it with your, like the naked eye? Are you looking through like magnifying glasses and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I can only see the sperm under a special microscope. So I would like, I wouldn't be able to see it like you're seeing me. I have to look under the microscope to be able to see it is because it's microscopic. Um, so the only way I get to see it is under the microscope, which would be kind of cool if you could see it with the naked eye, but you can't. So you have to look at it under the microscope and it's usually in that little dish that we talked about. So I can slide it under there and look through the lenses and see it under the microscope. Um, I have another question. I'm like, mm-hmm. Is um is an embryologist like kind of like a scientist because like you're mixing up like different like liquids kind of like a scientist and like figuring out like what's gonna happen and stuff? Yeah, we're definitely scientists. I would 100% say we are scientists. Um, we have to we mix a lot of different things. We've got um sometimes chemicals and other things that we're doing in the lab. Um, we get to wear scrubs, which a lot of scientists wear scrubs. That's always fun. Um, and we get to look at research, which scientists, um, when they're doing their science, they're usually doing their science based off of research. So we do that as well. So I would definitely say we are scientists. That's awesome. All right. So I guess that leads into my next question. What specific type of education would someone need 
to want, if they wanted to become an embryologist? So in the U.S., the requirement is um, basically a bachelor's degree. It requires a certain number of science credits. So like biology and chemistry, which are different types of sciences. Um, there are a certain number of those classes that are required in the U.S. to become an embryologist. But I would say most embryologists have a college degree. So a bachelor's degree in a science and then most of the training is done on the job. So I didn't know how to do this when I came out of school. I had to be taught how to do it, um, which is very common for most embryologists. How long does it take like post, post-graduate mm-hmm. education? It really depends a lot on the clinic. For me, it took, it took about four years for me, which is kind of on the longer side. And some of that is on me because the first year or two, I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to do this. So I kind of, my training was a little bit slow because I was like, I don't know. Um, I would say most embryologists are fully trained in two or three years is pretty average, but I was at four years. So it took me just a little bit longer. Are there like lots of women in your field, like um, lots of like black women in your field? So there are a lot of women for sure. I would say most embryologists are women. I've I've worked with only a handful of men, um, male embryologists. So most of them are women, but honestly, there are not a lot of black women, unfortunately. Same thing with doctors, with, with IVF doctors, there's not a lot of black doctors. Um, there are more that are coming into the field and I'm glad I can encourage other black women to, you know, go into the field of embryology, but currently I'm trying to think if I even know another black embryologist. I know one who is retired now. But currently, I do not work with a Black embryologist. Wow. So yeah. you are you are very much a unicorn in your field, which is awesome. Yeah. There, so aren't, there aren't very many of us, but it's super important to have that diversity because patients want to see embryologists that look like them. And so when Black patients come in, they don't, you know, they don't always see doctors and embryologists that look like them. I have a question about that. How often are you actually able to interact with the families? Like, do you, do you meet them beforehand and, and go through the process with a fertility doctor and, and what's your, like, what's your level of contact with them? Yeah. So it's, it's less than people I think expect, um, because of the gif at the end of embryologists, they make it, it almost makes it sound like we're a doctor, but we're not. Um, so it depends a little bit on the clinic, but I usually see patients, um, before procedures. So before their egg retrieval, before their embryo transfer, maybe before um, an IUI or that sort of thing when we're um, confirming their date of birth and that information. And then I often am talking to patients on the phone. So I may be talking to them about their embryos, how many embryos they have left or the status of what's happening in the lab. Um, and then occasionally I see them with their babies that they bring back, <laughs> but a lot of times they don't know who we are. A lot of times we're kind of behind the scenes, so they don't really know us, but I still feel very connected to them because I know their case. I know their name. I know kind of their backstory, although they don't really know that about us, which is kind of funny. <laughs> we know more about them than they know about us for sure. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I'm sure it's really, really awesome to be able to see the baby when they get to the other side. I remember when I went through IVF, I didn't do the extra testing. Uh, I was still relatively young. I think I was about 37. But uh, because I didn't do the testing, the doctor was like, 
or maybe it was the embryologist that was like, I'm just going to choose the prettiest looking one. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and Pretty much. The, I guess the roundest, like most symmetrical looking, because it's like a little circle basically. Because mm-hmm. um, it doesn't actually look like a baby until it starts growing, but. Um, yeah, so we can give them a grade. Essentially, that's what the the most pretty one looks like. We give them a grade, very much like when you're in school, you get an A, you get a B, you get a C, um, and that's very much how we grade embryos. So we want to pick the ones with the A's. Isa, Isa got an A, <laughs> so that's why she's here. Oh, good, good. An A, an A. That means like she's she was like you know they they look to see if there's anything abnormal looking about the embryo because if it looks abnormal then. I guess there's a higher chance that it's probably not going to work. Yeah, so we want to see. Go ahead. Did I have an A? You were an embryo at one point. You just weren't created outside of mommy's body. So like what Elise is talking about is like they create the embryo outside the woman's body and then they put it back inside the woman for it to grow. Whereas you were, you got created inside my body. So I never really got to see what you, I mean, I guess I did kind of see what you looked like as an embryo before you started growing, but yeah, I mean, obviously you were a healthy one because here you are, like when it's not healthy, <laughs> then the the yeah. embryo just doesn't grow. Wait a minute, but I get sick. So like, <laughs> no. like everybody get sick. gets sick. So she says this having just had the stomach flu. And so she's like, I must not have had an A. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes- some, so you can get sick, like I get sick, your dog gets sick, that sort of thing. But sometimes it's a bigger sickness, like a, it's more, it's to the point where you wouldn't be able to to live kind of sick. Or like just like a kind of sick that like, you know, like you would have for like the rest of your life, like um, like mm-hmm. kind of like a, like a disease that you like a disease. Mm-hmm. So exactly. that's something that sometimes they can test for if you create embryos, depending on what it is, they can do, they can do tests for stuff like that. So, yeah. So when we were talking about testing the embryos and the DNA and the code and all of that, we can test for, for some diseases and sicknesses that last forever. And so we can test for some of those things to make sure that the embryo we pick doesn't have those sicknesses. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be cool if we could pick an embryo that was like, could never get sick? Yeah, that would be like the embryo that was like, you know, immune to all flus. We've we've caught everything that is like possible to catch in our area in the last few months. So I think Stella is like, and she's usually like patient A. (laughs) She's like, what? I must be. Yeah, it's, you're just like everybody else. You get sick. All right. (laughs) A patient zero means like you're usually the first person to bring it into our house and then you make everyone else sick because you're the first person who gets sick yeah I mean yeah she also has the most outside exposure because he's in gymnastics so it's like Uh, at the gym and then she goes in lots of bars and one horrible petri dish of flus and stuff like that All right. So on the podcast, in addition to looking at non-traditional families, we also want to explore the topic of belonging. And so our next question is, have you ever felt like you don't belong? And if so, why? And how did you handle that? I would say for me, it's more often because a lot of the the people I work with are women. So I don't really feel excluded that way, but I often feel excluded or like I don't belong 
by being the younger person. So since I'm newer to the field, a lot of the people I work with are older. Um, so that sort of that sort of like feeling of belonging is what I experience the most, or I guess lack of belonging is what I experience the most because I'm a little bit younger. And so with that, a lot of sometimes people don't take me seriously, <laughs> uh, which is I have found has been my my difficulty. But really, it must be hard to be aware there's so many things that could go wrong that have nothing to do with you. Yes. Like, I mean, you could have just like tissue that's not working out or. Yeah, like we can't control it. We can only control so much. Like there are still things that have to go right and we can't make it do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can be a little frustrating, but I, I don't necessarily get like judged for that or reprimanded for that because you know, at least the physicians and other embryologists know that we can't control everything. Um, mm -hmm. It more comes when I have an idea or I want to tweak a protocol or try something different where they're like, oh, well, you haven't been in the field that long. So we're just going to, we're not going to do that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what you're talking about, or I know best or that sort of thing. Um, and for the most part, it doesn't bother me because it is what it is. You know, people get the seniority thing and whatever. Yeah, but it um, makes you feel less progressive, right? Like, I think it's one of those things where, I mean, for me, I work in tech. And one of the things I appreciate about tech is that even though it can be a little bit of hierarchy, I think that there's a spirit of like new ideas will bring innovation. And so I think, you know, it's like being ageist against somebody who's younger, like that person could bring a fresh idea that you hadn't thought of, right? Exactly, which in my instance was the social media. Yeah. So I wanted to bring the social media presence into the clinic atmosphere and use mm -hmm. it as a, an education tool. And that's really where I got a lot of pushback from older um, management and older embryologists and things like that is they were like, well, what's the benefit of this? You know, it seems intrusive you know, I don't think we should do this. And I'm like, ah, you're not seeing like people are coming here for knowledge. Like we can educate them so well on these platforms and that sort of thing. So um, I, I do constantly have to like vouch for that. I'm like, no, it's not unprofessional. It can be professional. It can be educational. It can be beneficial to patients. Um, and there are still a lot of people that I work with that don't really see it that way, um, which is fine. It, they're allowed to have their own I opinion. Mean, one thing that is interesting too, is like, I, you know, we get a lot of questions in just the SMC spaces about embryo quality and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, you should go watch Elise the embryologist because she has videos on this. Like you can actually see what it looks like. And mm -hmm. I think that's great because oftentimes when you go to the fertility doctor, you're not actually seeing behind the curtain. And so when they, when they're telling you what's happening, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't understand, but being able to see it is really helpful. And I also think that it'd be great just for kids too, to be able to actually see. So I think we, we often wait too long to talk to kids about fertility and about like, you know, what it's actually like, how, how babies are made. <laughs> and when they're in these science classes and they're basically telling, you know, kids that it's just super easy to get pregnant. And then when they're adults and they're like, wait a second, this is not that easy. <laughs> like, right. Like I've been told my whole life to not get pregnant. Don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant. Yeah. And then when you're right to get pregnant, you're like, okay, not working or how do I optimize it? Or all these things. No one tells you anything about that. <laughs> yeah. It's not as easy as they make you think. And I mean, look, it's easy enough to be worried about it probably more when you're young, but 
Um, statistically, I mean, I think this is why it's challenging for people in the field. It's like, you know, it's, it, you can have all these factors and it still doesn't work. Right. And you keep trying. And so, yeah, I, I love your videos. I think everyone should go watch them. I think they're funny sometimes and they're very informative. And, um, yeah, I just think it makes, it makes the topic approachable too. Cause I think there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about IVF, especially if you're, you know, in a coupled relationship where, you don't want to necessarily be transparent that you could be having problems having mm-hmm. babies. Um, but I think even if you are in a relationship, if you're on the older side, I'm, so, I'm an IVF pusher like hard <laughs> because my thing is like when you're older, you really don't want to necessarily take a chance with like old mm-hmm. eggs or old sperm. And I would rather, at least for me, I'd rather like get the testing done. And yeah, you know, for me, it's all about, reproductive transparency or, or wanting to know about your own reproductive health. Like, you know, I gave a lecture earlier today to college kids and, you know, the professor was like, is there anything else you would tell them just as people that may want to have children in the future? And I'm like, if you are curious, go find out. I'm so glad that as a younger person, you know, I'm, I'm almost 27. I've gotten a fertility workup. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have an idea of what my fertility looks like. And I think um, there are people who are curious, but oftentimes doctors will say, oh, well, you're not partnered. You're young. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. But when you get those diagnostic tests done, you may find something that may change your timeline. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I found out my AMH is low for my age. And mm-hmm. so that may change, you know, me and my husband's timeline. We may want to, you know, start trying to have kids sooner or then wait till we're 35 or, you know, a little bit older. So to me, it's, it's just taking control of that, your own reproductive, not like health knowledge. I think definitely like taking ownership of your fertility. And I mean, I tell women all the time, I'm like, look, SMCing is not for everyone, right? I'm not an SMC pusher. I will give you information about it, but I am, I am a pusher of somebody getting the data on their fertility, because I think that you can often make decisions you know, because you might be thinking, oh, when I, when I hit 35, if I'm not partnered, then I'll be an SMC, but Mm -hmm. it could be too late, right? Like you could have maybe made that decision or at least created some embryos when you're like in your late twenties and then give yourself some time, uh, to decide whether or not, you know, you want to be an SMC or you'd rather do it partnered or what have you. So, yeah, I think having all the data as soon as possible is is super important. I mean, as soon as it's all about the knowledge all about the knowledge for me. Like, and I know some people are like, well, I don't want to know. Like to me going, like I, I pulled a couple of my followers and they were like, I didn't, I put off going to the fertility clinic because I was scared of getting bad news. And I can definitely understand that perspective of like, maybe I don't want to know if something is wrong because clearly it's not working out on our own. Do I really want to dive into that and, and know for sure that something isn't working? And so I get that, but ultimately it's like, what's your end goal here? Because the time isn't, isn't necessarily on your side. No, it makes sense. Um, what's a bit of advice you'd give kids like me who are nine? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I would say if you're curious about something, ask, um, I, I think, sometimes, you know, I'm sure you've experienced, it can be scary to ask an adult a question um, because you may, you don't want to sound stupid or something like that. But I say, ask the question, you know, 
that's the only way you can learn is by being curious and and asking the questions. So I say go for it. Ask the ask the questions whether you think they're silly or not. I think it's fun. Why not? Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on my videos if you've seen them. Like, what did you think? Did which ones did you watch? <laughs> I think we need to watch more. She's been vomiting for the last two days. Oh, so. no. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. Yeah, I'm super excited her, for her to see the actual dish because I think she is going to, you know, when she thinks of dishes, she thinks of like cereal dishes. Yeah, like a plate or something like that, like cereal. Yeah, I actually have a video on TikTok. I think I have a couple. I have a couple of me making dishes. I have a couple of me holding dishes. Um, they may be, you may have to scroll a little bit for them, but they're on there. So you'll, there's definitely some that you can see videos of me holding dishes and there are like future babies in there. It's crazy. Yeah, like, isn't a dish like, like a food dish? Like, well, yeah, but there's a different type of dish. This is like, you know, a Petri dish, which is. Yeah. So it can, it can mean two things. Yeah. I like you have some of a boy tailor and a girl tailor, like, you know. Yeah, so that's another thing that you can test for uh, with embryos. You can also test for gender, which many parents choose to do. I did not choose to do it because I just didn't care. <laughs> I just wanted healthy kids. Yeah. Some people do. Some people don't. I have a lot of, you know, I see a lot of patients who it's like they, they want to have the option to know, but they don't necessarily want to choose. Like they don't want to choose, but they want to be able to find out what we chose for them sort of thing. Uh, okay. Like we give them a card at retrieval. And so they didn't choose, oh, okay. but they do want to know what we chose, so it's um, like which I would find really interesting. Gender reveal. <laughs> yeah. Here's the card. Now go give it to the baker. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what it is. And I'm always like, you can look at it now. You can look at it. I don't know how they just hold on to it and don't look like, because you can know as soon as you put the embryo in there, what you could potentially be having. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I didn't, I mean, I didn't test them. So I didn't have that data. I got that. I got it pretty soon with uh, my youngest because I got the early testing that they give you when you're like, you know, what do they call it? Advanced, advanced maternal age. Yeah. <laughs> Geriatric pregnancy, which is, yeah, it was when I first heard that, I was like, you've got to be kidding. I'm only 37. This is not a big deal. I got her, I got, I, I knew soon with her, with Stella, I didn't find out until I was like, I don't know, the 16 weeks, which was really hard for me because I'm not a very patient person. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to wait that long to find out what I'm carrying. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My parents, I mean, I don't, they didn't know with any of us. And uh, my mom was 40 when she had my my younger brother and so she was definitely like you know geriatric pregnancy and all these things and I was like mom you weren't worried about like any sort of genetic issues because you were a little bit older and she was like well you know we couldn't test for any of those things so it wasn't always on the forefront of our mind because we knew it was what it was sort of thing yeah well thank you so much for joining us today this has been so much fun I'm like so looking forward to going through and watching more videos with Stella and, and seeing all of her thoughts on, uh, we'll, we'll have to watch one and take a video of her reaction video reaction. <laughs> to I would it. love to see that. Please send that to me. If you do that yeah, I will, for sure. Uh, yeah, Stella, hopefully she's like, I'm that. sure they sing. She thinks the embryos sing. I think she thinks that in the video, she's going to see them singing. Oh, well, we do sometimes play music in the lab. 
Yeah. But like since they turn around in the web and like dance around in the like no no the like, sperm well, dances, the embryo does not dance. They gotta, they gotta dance. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking about <laughs> maybe well, yeah. you're talking you're talking about like a fetus, like a baby. When you see a baby on the ultrasound and they're like kind of moving around. Babies move yeah. and dance for sure. Yeah. So this is actually before that. This is before they have any arms, before you can see a head. You can't see any of that stuff um, with what I do. They're like just a little ball of cells. Yeah. But like, don't they like twirl around and sing like la 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 cells? La la la, I'm a bowl of follow cells. <laughs> oh my god. No. That would make my job much more interesting. So yes. it's like I kind of wish they did, but they don't. Sometimes <laughs> I talk to them though. I will say, like, you know, you need to do what you're supposed to do here. And we do play music. So I don't, I guess we can't a hundred percent be sure what happens when we close that incubator. Yeah. But in my experience, they do not sing and dance. Wait a minute, but if you play music, then they gotta be like interested. So they'll be no, like, but that's well, the thing. You're you're making the assumption that their brain is fully developed. Like this is just a ball of cells. Like cells brain. Uh it's gonna be a brain one day, but it is not yet a brain. Yeah. Oh, cells a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So we're gonna cells? have these videos. And yeah, you'll see, you'll see though. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been so great. Yes. Thank you for having me. Hopefully you learned something, Stella. Definitely. Once you see some embryos, you'll realize they don't sing and dance, but I wish they did. That would be much more fun. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Seeking Different. If you like what you heard, share us with your family and friends. Tell us what you'd like to hear on future episodes and share your stories about belonging and family. You can connect with us on Instagram at Seeking Different. See you next time.